foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is the Move Your DNA podcast, a show where movement science meets your everyday life. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist, author, and lifetime breather. All bodies are welcome here. Let's get moving. All right, before we get started, everyone, let's all take a big, deep breath together. So I'm 25 million minutes old, more or less, 47 years. If I multiply that 25 million minutes by the number of average breaths per minute, and I'm going to use 12, that's 300 million breaths I've taken, more or less. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on breath, specifically the mechanics of breath, as well as breath rate. Breath rate is all bundled up with your heart rate as well, because these two organs, the heart and lungs, are working together to bring oxygen into the bloodstream which then brings the oxygen to the cells that need it, which is all of them, of course, but working muscles demand more oxygen than muscles that aren't working. And then if we take things one step further, because I'm all about taking steps, the way we view breathing is very much influenced by the fact that our culture is extremely sedentary. So breath, how we do it specifically, how we do it specifically, relates to how we move and how much we move throughout our lives. So it's going to surprise nobody that I spend a lot of time considering the mechanics of movement, the way the levers and pulleys work throughout the breathing anatomy to facilitate breath. But there are also other things to consider when it comes to breath. So I have brought in my friend and author of the new book, Body by Breath, Jill Miller, to talk with me about how the way we breathe can be showing up and affecting our bodies in ways we might not be aware of. Body by Breath is a complete manual to positively inspire you. Jill Miller's 
thorough and thoughtful book is packed with clear explanations, exercises, and gorgeous, helpful visuals. Body by Breath is the How to Breathe Well textbook you wish you would have read years ago. That last paragraph was a blurb that I gave her for the book. It's a really great book. So with all of that, let me introduce you to my guest and friend, Jill Miller. Jill Miller is a fascia expert. She has 30 years of corrective movement expertise that forges links between the worlds of yoga, massage, athletics, and pain management. She has created dozens of instructional DVDs. Uh, She has two signature self-care fitness programs that you might already know about, Yoga Tune-Up and The Role Model. They can be found at gyms and, and in yoga studios, hospitals, and athletic training facilities, as well as corporations worldwide. Her first book was The Role Model, and she is also a contributing author on self-myofascial release in the textbook Fascia Function and Medical Applications. Her new book, Body by Breath, The Science and Practice of Physical and Emotional Resilience, is what we're going to talk about today. Jill, welcome to Move Your DNA. It's great to be back, Katie. So I guess I should just say a little bit, like, we are friends. Do you, how do you always describe us? Do you say sisters from another mother? Is that how you say it? I think that's cute. Yeah, sisters from another mother. I mean, I really feel like we were somehow twins and separated at birth because when I discovered you, I was like, wow, she's saying everything I say, but using a whole different lingo set. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this woman is absolutely amazing. And we sort of look the same. Like, sometimes I say picture, I was like, oh, it's kind of like, you don't see see that? No, not at all. I am so, I am like, I'm like an eighth of you. I'm so... I mean, I guess I meant your face. Like there's this, when I look at your face, no, no, you are... I, believe me, I would love to have your, this is like, yes, I'll take it. You want to call me Katie? Call me Katie. I know. I just, I just see some similarities in our faces. But anyway, I was thinking... um, Maybe it's our DNA. Maybe. Well, we both move our DNA. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I know that you and I can talk and go in a million different directions. You've got this great new book out on breath, which we will point everyone to. And I and I I I always walk on my birthday, and I um, mm-hmm. walked forty seven kilometers for my 47th birthday, and you walked with me a large portion of it because I heard you on the Gabby Reese podcast talking about this book. I knew I wanted to have you on, but I just wanted to hear you talk about this book. And I really encourage everyone listening to this to go listen to that podcast interview when we're done, because Gabby's a great interviewer. And I feel like she was able to tease out from you so much about how you see breathing, which is so much different than how I see it. You know, I'm such a mechanistic person. I'm not that as a person, but that's my field, right? So I'm, I want to talk about breathing in the, in the terms of like the shapes and the levers and the pulleys. But I want to start with how do you see the breathing container? You know, first of all, I want to say that Gabby's interview was the longest interview I've ever done. I sat down across the table from her and two hours and 40 minutes later, I was like, I got to go get my kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, what is what just happened to us? So she has an ability to really warp time. And so we really did establish a lot of very deep pits of nuance in that podcast that um, heretofore has uh, not been unearthed. So I really appreciated her, 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 
So how I see breathing, you know, I see breathing in so many different ways. So um, I do see the, what you see. I think some of the fundamental things that I see about breathing and why I wanted to write this book, Body by Breath, is I really wanted people to have an inside out journey with respiration, the perception of, you know, breath as a tool inside your body that can maneuver you from inside out and affect every single system of your body. Um, and of course, structurally, there are things that are going to impede uh, ease of breath flow. There are ways our body works around airway that end up reshaping us over our lifespan. But it's it's not just a structural thing. These things are affecting um, digestion. They're affecting, obviously, your nervous system. Um, they're affecting energy levels. Um, they're impacting uh, fluid flows throughout your body, vascular flow. So I wanted, I really want to help people, um, you know, be inside these chambers and work their way from inside out. And of course, in order to get this inside out, we use tools that impact us from outside in. And so there's a, there's a meeting of pressure from inside and pressure from outside. What I'm specifically referring to, of course, are the, the tools I use, the role model balls. And very specifically, we really generously use um, the airfield ball, the gorgeous ball, throughout body by breath so that you can really um, get biofeedback from this sphere of your air. Usually you, you've blown up your own gorgeous ball. You get the feedback of where, where breath is moving, where it's not moving, and what are the sensations associated with it. And even just very simply um, laying on the ball, suddenly movements start to occur that may not have been happening previously, but Second to that, you finally become aware of them. You become aware of the zones of respiration in your body and how better to manage it for whatever task you wish. Yeah, I like that. So just to bounce back, look at what I hear, just to clarify, to make sure that I'm getting this piece correctly, is I love pressure as a movement to think that we can apply pressure externally, mm -hmm. but that breathing itself is also a pressure that's being created from inside that's pushing and pulling other things in your body that are not necessarily breath related. And I'm making air quotes right now with my fingers. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar to how I like to talk about movement. And I think you do as well, which is your body moving is more about keeping your muscles and bones and nerves, like the parts of your musculoskeletal system healthy, that all these other systems depend on movement to, to function. It's part of like it's what it is a movement is a part of this machine that is our body, if we want to belittle it to a machine, but it's a part. But breathing is also a part. And breathing is not simply just taking in air and releasing other gases. That motion that is happening is, is something that all of our other systems depend on. Yes, this is a fundamental pump. When you think of the, the, the main mover of breath through your body, it's this uh, trampoline, uh, odd mushroom-shaped muscle within your rib cage, a skeletal muscle within your rib cage known as the respiratory diaphragm. And this respiratory diaphragm, it makes 22,000 on average contractions per day. That's bananas. It is contracting when you are sleeping. It is contracting and persisting when you are passed out drunk. It is enduring mm -hmm. beyond any other skeletal muscle in our body. Mm -hmm. And it is such an odd shape 
there are, it has very odd behaviors and it's regulated uh, by your brain and in, in or brainstem rather in very novel ways. And I find it to be absolutely fascinating. And I think in the book, I call it the hub of movement. Um, it really is a central skeletal piece, mm-hmm. a skeletal muscle piece within the body. And so I see it as an organizing principle. And so a lot of my focus in some of the early chapters of the book is helping people to to map that muscle so that they can improve their perception of this exchange of air in out. I mean, I also see this exchange of air in out in other sort of esoteric ways. Like I see breath as a transient organ. You know, it is never yours to keep, but you're all constantly exchanging it with the, the space you're in, the environment you're in with others. And, you know, an organ is made up of multiple tissues. And, you know, by the way, every time you breathe in, you're pretty much breathing in a lot of other people's skin cells and animal cells and mm. all sorts of other partic- particulates. But your body has this amazing ability to filter so that really what you're ending up getting is hopefully mostly just the the, the oxygen that you need and your getting rid of the the carbon dioxide that you no longer need. So I don't think I answered your question. I think I just, um, I threw out another buffet of chocolates from from which to pick and choose uh, another river for us to flow down. Well, you're a poet. I always think of you as a body poet. And, but I, I hear how you see breathing. This is how, this is how you see it. And Mm -hmm. I, I really value thinking beyond how I tend to think which is purely um, the end result of the oxygen, mm-hmm. right? The end result of the oxygen getting to where it's going, right? Like that's very like, this is the purpose of it. But what you're saying is like, oh, the journey is also part of the purpose. So we're not only talking the end goal, but the whole series of steps through which you move through, through which the breath moves through to get what we sort of identify as the reward of breathing. And I guess it's right. identified that way because it's the most immediate consequence when you don't get it, Yeah, right? So it's not an arbitrary distinction, but um, I see how you see it. And now I want to I want to add a little bit of practical. And I also want to clarify, like your book is, there are so many exercises in your book. And I would say that there's two categories. Mm-hmm. Um, I would sort them in, breathing exercises in, in like, Mm -hmm. do this with your breath, like follow these patterns of movement with your breath, so to speak. And then there are non-breathing movements that help make breath occur with less resistance. I'll just say it with that. Like you're trying to remove Mm. the resistances that we have to bringing in breath. Can you give an example of a breathing exercise and then an exercise that it helps make breathing easier. Yes. So let me simplify for the listeners. The the book, even though it's called Body by Breath, the book really, honestly, it focuses on our recovery response in our body. It really is a book that provides you a playbook for your parasympathetic nervous system. What is that? It's a playbook for your relaxation response. And there are four major tools that I've boiled down practically for people to employ so that they can build this compound pharmacy of relaxation in their body. And those four tools are breathe, roll, move, and yoga nidra, also known as non-sleep deep rest. And so what Katie's referring to is she saw there's about a hundred exercises in the book. 
And some of them are actually just breathing actions where it's almost like a conductor. And in fact, the breathing patterns are mapped out on a treble clef. It looks like a musical, uh, a musical experience where you're following a certain pattern of breathing. But often these patterns of breathing are coupled with some mindset work, with some attention or focus work so that you can stay present with the pattern. Um, and then also many of these breath practices, because the majority of them are to induce this relaxation response, are also coupled with a position. And typically, um, if for the relaxation response, typically that position is on the ground or slightly in a gentle slope. So there are a few just breath exclusive practices where, you know, do it wherever you are, do it right now while you're standing or sitting or while you're driving. And, you know, the simplest breath exercise, I think for, it's actually the hardest, <laughs> uh, the simplest breath exercise conceptually is witness breath. And witness breath is basic awareness is to watch breath occurring in the wild of your body, right? So you are nature, you are the habitat. And you are the breath scientist also, and you get to watch breath enter and exit however it wishes to inside this environment that is you. Now, that, that ask can be very difficult for many bodies, especially if the only time they're aware of breath is when they're out of it, mm -hmm. or the only time they're aware of breath is maybe when they're swimming. But when we start to place attention on breathing, our breathing and also our our, our brain and our attention becomes hyper aware of breathing. And that can often make us over control respiration where respiration actually happens all the time without you needing to pay it any mind. So for the first step is practicing paying attention to your breath, watching it come and go and not trying to control it, not trying to control the airflow coming in or the airflow coming out or the natural pause that tends to happen after exhale happens or inducing a hold after your inhale. So witness breath would be really a critical step. So many people can't just do a witness breath because their breath becomes so self-conscious or it actually starts to spike their anxiety when they start to stare at the process of breathing in the wild in their body. And so one of the reasons I started moving into pressure-based exercises or palpation-based exercises, mm -hmm. that's how I frame it in the book, but really it is inducing pressure into the body, these palpation-based exercises, what they do is the pressure alone can actually help induce a relaxation response, which is great. And so that will make you less in need of having to clutch and break on your own breath. And you can let your breath come and go around the shape that you're in. So for example, if I lay down on the side of my rib cage on, on my side body and place a gorgeous ball underneath my armpit, it's going to compress that hemisphere of ribs that I'm reclining on. And then I'm just going to lay there and let breath come and go and watch the interesting distortions that happen. You know, your breath is going to work around the imposition of that pressure. But when you take that ball out and then you could conduct a breath exercise there, which is definitely the, you know, maestro, the next level of what we do is I'll tell people, all right, now you have a ball here. See if you can move your ribs into the elastic ball. So you expand the ribs. I might not even say breathe in. I'll say expand your ribs into the ball. And suddenly they intuitively know that if I breathe into my rib cage, I'm going to get my ribs to move into the ball. And then the ball is going to help my ribs to do what's called downward rotation. So this is a little rib exercise where I start to improve my proprioception of these moving parts of the rib cage 
in order to inform this interoceptive, this physiological phenomenon of air in, air out. And then, of course, we go to the other side and you'd compare each side. So that's an example of a really simple breath-only exercise and then adding in the stimulus of a ball in order to highlight the breath container, as you as you put it in, in one of your questions to me. And of course, we can add even more movement to that by, by manipulating the rib cage. I can kind of roll forward and roll backward, or I can create a little bit of a tuck-untuck, a, a tiny like sideline cat-cow while I'm upon the ball. So there are thousands of new directions that, that one could go to bring awareness to the process of breathing. And simultaneously, it can override the sympathetic need to, to try to control the breath or if the breath is feeling self-conscious. All right. So the, so the, this is just for my, to make sure I've got my own understanding of how I've interpreted your book. So, and I have to say it's a long book. I have not read all, is it 700 pages? Good guess. It's 480. We actually cut 360 pages. Okay. All right. So that's how my, yeah. Okay. So sorry. But the, but the first, the first part is 187 pages and that's the science. And then the rest of it is practical exercises. And then there's the addendums. There's a scar chapter and there's a diastasis rectum yeah. chapter. That is where you are located. Oh, thank you. Well, I mostly read the, the first part because I, I could see all the exercises and I, and I knew I would experiment with them. But I really think that what you did so beautifully in this book was what you do so beautifully, which is, besides punning, um, create like simple steps for people to follow. You know, like, I don't know what it is. It's like, it's it just, so many people really like clarity around the order or the procedure to do something. I'm terrible at that. Like, that's not really my skill set, but I love how you do it. And I was able to walk away like, okay, I understand. And if I go back to what you were saying before, the way I'm interpreting it is a breathing exercise, a simple breathing exercise would simply be observing yourself breathing without changing anything. Like whether it's for 20 seconds or 30 seconds or five breaths, you're like, oh, I, I'm not even paying attention to how I'm breathing. So it's very, um, it's a mindfulness exercise. Yes. Like I feel like this is foundational. I've done a lot of different meditation practices and this is what you do for the first three days. What mm -hmm. I didn't understand until after I read your book is why that doesn't work for many people mm -hmm. for, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to say it that way. I think it does work for many people, but I think there is a group of people for which it does not work because simply observing the breath creates anxiety. Yep. And so like, I don't understand how that works, but that I was like, oh, I see now. Well, let me go back. Mm -hmm. So why does pairing, why, why do you think adding pressure in a separate exercise while you are still supposed to be observing breath, how do you think that that decreases the anxiety of the situation? It's simply that you're distracting someone, like you're going, hey, look at the monkey over here, look at the monkey, and, and then someone can get past mm -hmm. that? Is that all it is, or is it more? Yeah, yeah, I, I do think that it is. So when we're observing our breath, we are right into, this, this gets into some of the brain science that's in the book. So I'll try to keep it I, uh, as simple as possible, but the book has a chapter that goes down a path of fascia and your sensing systems. There's also a chapter on the breathing brain. 
And I need to highlight both of those chapters for how I'm going to answer you. So when we are observing our body in motion and feeling our way through placement of joints, movement of muscles, we're relying on the theme of proprioception and the sensory motor cortex in our brain is helping us to map where we are. But we also have a subtle sensing system, and this is called interoception, where we are attuned to the sensations of our physiology. And these sensations of our physiology are movement of air, the movement of blood, you can feel your heartbeat, the movement of digestive matter through your, through your guts, the feeling of emotions, the feeling of sexual urgency or lust. These are all through a, a pathway in your, in your spine called the lateral, lateral thalamic pathway. And so they're going up a different pathway than the larger movement-based information is. And so if I interrupt my breathing by putting my structure on an object like mm. a gorgeous ball, my sensory motor map gets really excited. It's like, oh, look, I'm feeling these bones. Oh, look, this is really something else to, to, to experience. And, and so that can help sidestep some of the, excuse me, let me, let me step back a second. In the interoceptive pathway, we're processing a lot of these nervous signals in the insula and other emotional centers of the brain. And so that can spike our anxiety or our fear or our emotions can start to surface. You, it's also very difficult to feel your physiology, the subtle physiology, when you are sympathetically activated and have a lot of movement going on. That will subdue, it will submerge these subtle signals, which is why during massage or during deep quiet or during deep stillness, we start to feel our emotions and that can be overwhelming. And so something as simple as just paying attention to the cadence of your breath, being bearing witness to your breathing, can be intensely emotional and stressful for many bodies. And in fact, when I was researching the book, a term came back up into my research, which is relaxation-induced anxiety, which is this phenomenon that many bodies feel threat when they're in stillness. So many bodies, when they go, you know, try to meditate or even do shavasana, that's when their pain actually shows up. Mm -hmm. That's when in, it, you know, just like unconscious fidgets just start to show up. The restless leg shows up. Or um, in some cases, people get these sympathetic nerve rushes, painful nerve rushes down their arms or down their legs. And it's like, why can't I just be still? Because my body won't let me. My sympathetic nervous system, for some reason, feels threat in stillness. Um, and I'm able to tackle that and explain that out in, in a few different ways in the chapter on the vagus nerve, where I use polyvagal theory as a lens to look at that. But this relaxation-induced anxiety affects somewhere around 53% of humans, Katie. Mm -hmm. Like, There's not a lot of research on it, but one of the papers I uncovered, I was like, you're kidding me. But it makes sense because so many people are meditation-averse. They hate the thought of meditating or sitting still. And so what, what can those bodies do? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a way to there's a way to, to welcome your anxiety to the table, first of all, to not punish your anxiety body, but to be like, hey, you're welcome here too. Like, let's play. Let's figure out how to keep you happy and all the parts of me happy. All of me is welcome here. And that's a, that's a big invitation throughout Body by Breath is, you know, all these parts. <laughs> so you're a parts person. So there's these parts too, right? Mm -hmm. That that haven't been listened to or were never given a seat at the table and we're always trying to usher them away. We're trying to stifle them away. So 
to circle back to your question, this is a, I think this is a phenomenon that you can't necessarily breathe yourself out of, but movement coupled with breath, coupled with position, coupled with some mindset work literally are coupled with, with self-massage. I think it's what I call the five P's are a compound that can really help to attenuate the, what we call in the, in the, the, the Jewish space, the shpilkas, like that, that overflow, that uncontrolled overflow that is so ultimately distracting to, um, to stillness. Not that stillness is the goal. I don't want it to make that be like, that's the cherry on top. It's like, oh, you can just sit still because my God, what a trigger to be, sit still. I just see the bigger toolbox. You were saying breath is itself a toolbox, but I can also see that breath movements are themselves part of the movement toolbox as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like that, I'm just always looking at my own toolbox and everyone listening will be looking at their own toolbox. And I really appreciate this idea. I mean, I think that I saw something you put on social media, which we talked about and we can't seem to find where it was. I think it was on one of those magical disappearing things that you put on. I was, um, stories, right? Those are the ones that go away. Okay, yeah. Stories. Look at, look at me. I'm sure there's a bunch of young people laughing. Like, what are those things? Stories on the thing that go away, <laughs> but you are saying for, and I'm, so we don't have it where we can review it, but my take of what you were saying is, and I'm going to talk about exercise. Like I do think that in a lot of the work that I'm doing, that's not necessarily front facing or forward facing, but the idea of using movement as a tool, using physical activity and exercise as a tool for people dealing with mental health issues or simply mm-hmm. as, a, as a way of proactively caring for your mental health the way that that is viewed is always something that's more energetic in nature. The movements are larger. The breath rate is faster. The breaths are deeper. But mindful movement, which is an emerging category, mindfulness has been around for a while, but mindful movement, it's not really clear what that is yet, but there does seem to be some element of self-observation while you are also doing some sort of physical activity, but it doesn't necessarily need to be something that would qualify as fitness. So the heart rate isn't necessarily up. Um, It can be slower, right? So you've got these two different ways that, that movement could be working in the body. Some people might feel better in their mind, in their brain, in their body by going faster and harder. And for other people, that is anxiety inducing or simply when they get into that, they can't get into that space for whatever reason. I don't know if it always has to be anxiety, but then there's this other option of like, well, you could use the the movement and breath toolbox in a slightly different way by going slower and also get these other, get the same benefits. And I feel that you're speaking the same way about breath. And it's really hard to separate breath from movement because breath mm-hmm. breath is a response to movement, right? So a lot of discussions mm-hmm. around breath are always sort of considering it <laughs> in a vacuum. Thank you. That's like my little pun for Ooh. the day. Thank you. <laughs> Don't let that one go by. But, but it's paired in a context of dynamic bodies. And in this time when our bodies don't move very much, we sort of Breath is living in a context that it's never had to live in before. Breath has never had to live in a sedentary context before, right? And so we're now starting to maybe 
see the way breath behaves in different environments and it's seeing how it works in this particular environment. And I just really appreciate the book and, and more than the book, the discussion, what you're bringing to the table. And I think people can gain a lot from getting the book and obviously reading it. Don't just get it and put it under your pillow. You actually have to like look at it inside, but also listening to some of the interviews that you've done that will go more deeply into these other non-mechanistic things, which I think are so beautiful. Um, I just want to talk really quickly about the vagus nerve. Like I really, mm-hmm. I love all cranial nerves, but your book really, <laughs> your book really, um, vagus nerve is, is, is it 10? I think it's cranial, cranial nerve yeah. number 10. What your book made me think about when you were talking about, you know, the movement of the face muscles mm-hmm. as relating to this nerve. And it made me think of, issues to do with ticks of the face, which run in our family, you know, Tourette syndrome and things like that. And then how, and so I mean, as soon as I heard you say that, and I was like, oh, I wonder if there's been research on the vagus nerve and ticks in the face. And, and sure enough, like there is some things that are starting to come up it's external. It seems like an external. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a electrical, right. it's an electrical implant that is very effective, especially for epilepsy, epilepsy. Yes. Um, and they've also seen many broad changes in affect using electrical nerve, vagal stimulation. Um, but these are, you know, implanted, uh, you know, electrical wires in the side of the neck. Um, are there mechanical interventions that we can do? Or just move? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mechanical meaning like pressure or movement you know, anything that can conform and deform or um, arouse uh, mechanosensation via, you know, via pressure, via rolling. Yeah. Well, that that's my thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm hoping maybe someday, you know, I, I work with a lot of different um, scientists from a lot of different backgrounds and, you know, I try to get them on the balls. I try to get them on the floor so that they can have the experience in their body and start thinking of, of research questions sure. that maybe we can, can tackle someday. So the vagus nerve, cranial nerve 10, is also known as the pneumogastric nerve. So we did an incredible free article on TuneUp Fitness that covered the vagus nerve and has so many free videos on YouTube that you can go and investigate that right now. But I definitely would say it's going to wet your palate. And that chapter in the book is so substantial. And there are so many more luminaries. There's so many more threads to discuss especially as you, as you're talking about facial tics and the vagus. So there's some really cool stuff there, but you've got to get the book and read it because it's too complicated to explain on a podcast. And you could do a whole, we could do a whole episode on just the vagus nerve. So I just want to let people know, like, it's really interesting in that you're branching off. <laughs> that was another pun. But you uh-huh. won't get it until after you read that chapter. <laughs> that, that, that just shows again, um, how broadly breath is affecting things, right? It's the same for movement. We are just not really, we have, the you, listeners to this won't be like, we are used to going, oh, movement is, is for so much more. Breath is for so much more than it seems to be about on the surface. Yeah. I mean, I could summarize it for you, Katie. I think where breath is often seen as a nose to lungs experience, mm-hmm. breath is a body-wide event. And you know what else is a body-wide w- event? mental health. Mm -hmm. Mental health does not live in your head. It is a body-wide event. And so this book really tries to outline that for people and inspire them, no pun intended, inspire them to get into their body and find these corners 
that can participate, that can help you be a better participant in your own life. Um, Okay. So I'm going to talk about myself here for a second. You can probably hear my voice. You know, you and I have this other thing in common. If we're going to talk about being twins in some way, we're both singers, right? We both, and or have this like deep desire to sing, but my voice and even I would say my breathing has become more and more challenged. And I feel like the way you can hear it in my voice right now, it relates. It relates to the breath that I can get in this particular situation. So as soon as I, so I am currently living in Central America. Um, I did bring some of my small tune-up fitness balls, but I did not bring my larger ones. So yeah, I listened to you on my birthday walk. And just just hearing you talk about breathing, like I just found myself like like trying out breathing, just listening to you do it, and, and listening to some of the exercises that you were referring to or alluding to. So I remember texting my husband, like, "Go to the grocery store where they have, you know, cheap. It's there's just like one store." And it's got everything across the board in it. And but I remember in this section there were like really cheap, not not footballs, not soccer balls, but like the ones that little kids have on the beach that are like yeah. really. I was like, just get me one of those because I, yeah, I want to I want to do a move that I know I need to do, and that is to put it on my chest and lay on the floor with my upper body draped over it, and just like be there. And yes, my family was around talking with me and here I am <laughs> draped over the, the ball, like the fondant. Ball. You know, I always think about it. It's like fondant. Like I'm like, it's like a strawberry and I'm chocolate and I'm draping over it and covering it. And then I got a crazy coughing fit. Mm-hmm. It just came up like from the deep, it came up mm-hmm. and it was, it had something in there. And I'm not a mucusy person. Like I don't ever have anything in my nose or my head or my chest and then my voice just was like, bloop, clear. Amazing. So, so that is just, what, what, other, what other exercise, this is just me asking for a friend who is me because mm-hmm. I love myself. Like what, what other thing besides that is great for, for voice? And I'm not even talking about singing. I'm talking about speaking. Mm-hmm. Speaking is becoming yep. harder and harder for me to do. It's becoming harder and harder for me to do metaphorically and it's harder and harder for me to do mechanically. And I think those two things are related. What do you think? What would, what oh my would God, I have so me? many thoughts about it. Okay. Oh my gosh. So many thoughts. So, um, thought one, I just want to address the sputum, um, and the amazing mechanical advantage you gave to your lungs by adding pressure mm-hmm. with the simple con- you know, deformity of laying on that gorgeous like ball, Mm -hmm. like something that can actually squish and move the joints of your lungs. So you have five lungs and they are, they should slide against each other. And one of the ways that we can expectorate is by squishing and releasing, squishing and releasing, letting the lungs go through the, the, the pressure oscillations that can mechanically help the cilia and the little finer and then bigger and bigger tubes uh, move fluid out of the lungs. So you know, I work with a lot of people with, you know, lung disease or long COVID and a lot of scar tissue in their lungs from, you know, being in induced comas and whatnot. And they're on every, you know, so many different types of, of medicine 
to help get fluid up. But you know, there's nothing better than wringing out your own Mm -hmm. lung sponges. And so just introducing novel pressure like that can be incredible. Um, You know, your lungs are a barrier. They're a barrier to the outside and they are filled. You sent me that um, study, uh, or not me, but you sent, you put this out in your newsletter the other day. Mm I have taken so many notes. I can't believe I didn't come across. It's amazing. This, uh, it's it's really important for people to know. Yes. Go back to to Katie's <laughs> uh, newsletter that she published. I think it was on March twenty fifth, and she included a, a research paper about the protective the protective environment within the lungs, the number of cells, the number of um, piezoreceptors. These are the, the the channels that respond to pressure that suddenly create a cascade, a protective cascade against invaders and whatnot. So anyway, the, the mechanical advantage that we give ourselves from laying on the gorgeous ball or any, you know, a, a, like a rolled up yoga mat can do, that is a wonderful thing for moving the jointedness within your lungs themselves. And then of course, giving an advantage to the levers that pull on them, the ribs mm-hmm. um, and the diaphragm. Okay. Secondly, for, for, so voice is something that is extremely precious to me because I started as a singer um, as a kid. And the reason I even know about the diaphragm is twofold. One, my mother, who's the asthmatic and two, because a music teacher taught me how to feel my own diaphragm when I was in elementary school. And, you know, years later, here I am with a book all about it. So I hear your voice and I've heard your voice for decades. And I've, I've noticed you have a little, you have a little scratchy. Oh, it's, you have a little bit of a, of yeah. a little, yeah, right. And, and so choking. I've always wondered. I'm also choking when I'm trying to swallow, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I've just noticed yeah. that there's less space in there overall. Yeah. So th- what's interesting is that how, how much you enjoyed the vagus nerve chapter, because there in the vagus nerve chapter, there is this, um, I think a box that talks about the special visceral efference. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, go review that again, okay. Katie. Um, yes, but the, the, and then in the book, in the, in the role section in part two, I divide breathing into three zones. Well, I divide into three zones in the beginning of the book. There's zone one, which is below the rib cage. There's zone two, which is of the rib cage. And there's zone three, which is head, neck, shoulder muscles that are really are in case of emergency muscles if they're used for respiration. And so I'm not saying you're using your in case of emergency muscles for respiration, but something is impacting your zone three muscles Mm -hmm. that's creating um, probably inappropriate firing for the, the vocal cords. So who knows what, who knows what it is? It could have been coming like a birth, a birth thing that, you know, now that we're hitting perimenopause, all sorts of weird things start to happen as, as we've talked about, as our, <laughs> as our bodies change, sure. yes, as our bodies evolve into this next developmental stage of our life. But, but the voice can be one of those things that literally collapses. And I have a, I have an actress friend who has been having very frequent bouts of laryngitis that just have come on suddenly and it's been um, in tandem with perimenopause. So I think there can be hormonal fluctuations that affect the behavior of um, the, the, the muscles, but also the connective tissue because there is a, there's a pruning that starts to happen um, all over the body. Anyway, so I guess the shorthand would be I would focus on zone three rollouts okay. that are head, neck, face. You know, there's tons of them in there, and I use, but I also use zone two stuff for vocal production mm-hmm. because you want to make sure that you can control the intercostal space or the intercostal activity. There's just more to this. There's a lot more to this, but those are the, this is some of the basics, and that's helpful because I know enough about my body to know what my access is to oxygen, and like I can dive and I can swim and I can produce mm-hmm. volume. It is really 
as you said, shoulder, shoulder to ears. Like, and I, and I know that cause I can feel it, but, um, I think that was also a way to let people hear, know how th- this book is like, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a cover to cover book. It's a, it is, you can definitely read it that way, but it is for me, the way that I would use it is very similar to be like, okay, I want to work on on my breath or my breathing parts because of this thing that I can't do right now that I know has changed or, you know, I'm curious about what this is in my own body. So that helps me see zone three, stick to zone three. And that when you're, when you see so many exercises, it gets overwhelming. I think for people, like, am I supposed to do them all? It's like, no, you feel like the same thing with movement. What are you interested in doing that you can't do right now? Or what did you used to do that you want to try to fix? Or what's bugging you? My voice is bugging me. I will work on zone three. What else should we talk about before we go? Uh, oh, I know what we should talk about. I think people are really interested that we're going to do a little mashup around our, our work. That's right. Again, so... Katie and I created a program called Walking Well a few years ago, and we were able to release it during the pandemic. You know, with Katie's release of Rethink Your Position, which is incredible. Thank you. And so important. And I think it's like super crossover. I mean, you know, household, household type of stuff. Um, we're going to do a little mashup of your breathing movement masterclass mm-hmm. stuff. And that's going to be May 8th. So we want to talk about that at all? Yeah. The thing that I wanted to get out there that's, you know, again, I'm I'm the hinges, lovers, pulleys kind of kid. Kyphosis, hyperkyphosis, right? This up, high, excessive curvature of the upper back. When we talk about all the breathing motions, you know, the rotations of the ribs and, and all these pieces, the full movement of a lot of your breathing parts depends on the position of a lot of your parts. Mm-hmm. And this class that we're going to do is sort of a harkens back to walking well and that we're going to be pairing movement and rolls and and then breathing exercises as well. I, I hope it's lots of fun. I hope it's very explorative. It's live. I mean, I think that that's the big difference is people can drop into it live. And if you miss it, you can always get a, a recording of it later on. But uh, what are you, what is the one or two um, things that you want people to walk away with? First of all, I want people to know that y- you can breathe in any position. Your, your airway is so dynamic. So I think that there is a lot of breath shaming going on in the universe right, right now. Like people are feeling like, I'm not breathing enough, or I'm breathing wrong. And I just want to start by saying, you're, you're alive, you're, you're breathing, breathing, you're nailing it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're breathing, you're nailing it. And your body is so dynamic. That's why your diaphragm is shaped like a half circle. Yeah. It's incredible. You can breathe in any position. But um, there are ways to obviously optimize the length tension relationship in all the soft and hard parts of your breathing apparatus so that you have more options mm-hmm. of movement. Yeah. And so that you are at less risk of a fracture or you are at less risk of you know straining a rib or what have you. So I'm really looking forward to being able to share some big ideas around fascial adaptations mm-hmm. that happen due to kephotic posture and, and really and show you some ways that you can self-treat yourself and that coupled with the movements that Katie's going to teach out. I think it will be a really good little capsule. It's something I really want my mother to do because you know, it's like your shoulders and neck live on top of your rib cage. Like that's home, that's home base mm-hmm. for your shoulders and your neck. And so with the adjustment in the thorax, with the, the excessive rounding, your shoulders have 
no other option but to lift up and draw forward. And that just creates so much extra burden on what I would call your zone three muscles, this head, neck, shoulder zone. And that can put strain on your voice. It can put strain, obviously, on your, your neck vertebra and their discs. Um, and you know, it's, it's not the ideal shape for optimal force production via respiration. And it's also not great for your shoulders. Like just to expand it, like if someone's thinking, I don't have any real problems with breathing or questions around breathing. When we talk about repetitive movements, breathing is your number one repetitive movement. 22,000 times That's a day. That's right. Like I calculated my breath at the beginning of this episode and it's at, I'm at 300 million breaths, right? It is my <laughs> most repetitive. That's a little fat. You would be like a gerbil if you were 300 million at this point. At 47 years? No, that's, that's, that is. That's, oh, oh, in years. Yes. Oh. No, no, no. I am not a gerbil. Okay. I am not a gerbil. That is 13 <laughs> breaths a minute. Since the beginning of the podcast. Since we started Sorry. the podcast. No, no. In 47 years. So, I mean, I just, for people who listen to this podcast, who think about movement and how it permeates their life, when you're talking about what's going on in the discs in your in your in your neck or the way that the shoulders swing when you're walking or or what's happening in parts that you don't necessarily associate with breathing you might want to look at this number one repetitive movement that you have to see how you're doing it right whether you're an athlete whether you are someone who has never really moved that much before and like likes the idea of starting with something so voluminous you know, like in everything in between, we all breathe. We all have this in common. I'll talk about this more in the course, right? Because we can just keep nerding out around around breath. And then I really want to, in the course, tie it together with things like heart rate. You know, your heart rate and breath are so uh, connected. They communicate with each other. They're, they're, you know, there's different things setting the pace in the body. So if you're interested in the cardiovascular system as a whole and looking at breath as a movement of the heart and the lungs, as well mm-hmm. as all these other pieces, I think um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to do this course with you. If you can't tell, if you can't tell by the way. I'm so excited too. And I'm also feeling like we're, we've only given ourselves, you know, 90 minutes and 90 to minutes. And 30 minutes to answer questions and answers. And there is so much to cover. So this will be, I guess this will be a teaser, but it'll be our first time mashing up our kind of our breath nerd nerdness. But you also wrote what, like a 1200 page book on breathing. So like, this is not, yeah, like, you can read the book. It's a, it is a four part series, it's like the Hobbit. Yeah. And I, I want to also say, you know, Katie has been there for me all along. Uh, she's given me a few rounds of advice on, on this book. Um, none of which I took cause I'm an idiot, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, but you know, it, it was actually, they cut 350 pages last August. So it was so overwritten. I've been writing the book for eight years under contract, but 10 years prior to that, you know, I've been mm-hmm. writing this stuff for like 18 years. So, um, it just took me forever. I was in agony. I did. I think I did reach out to you in agony a number of times. We, we, share, we can share our book agony sometimes. It's like, Oh, even let, that's where we're like a sister. And I just want to say like, we're talking yeah. about sister from another mother sister from another mister, have want to think about it. Like, I just want to give a shout out to my dad, who's no longer with us. My dad used to take a nap every day and would practice deep breathing. He taught me how to practice deep breathing on a walk. He'd be like, you just, you, he's like, you pull it in deep and you hold it. And then <laughs> he's like, and then you reach both hands out in front of you. 
push your hands as far away as you, and then take a deep breath here. And then reach both hands out to the sides and take a deep breath there. Reach both hands up. Take a deep breath there. And he used to, he was air traffic controller. So he sat very high stress, the one of the highest stress, probably inside jobs that exist, chain smoking, <laughs> you know, breathing, breathe. And then, well, Main breathing. well, yeah, right. Probably. And then just, you know, looking at a dark, looking at a dark screen for eight hours a day. And like that was his, the way he would balance out. He lived to almost 90, but it was really about this deep breathing practice that he had. And he would come home from work and be walking across the field breathing. And all the kids would be following little kids, like just walking to the school bus because he would get off a, like all night shift and they'd be doing the same things, pushing their arms out and like, just r- like role modeling this person sort of walking in front of them. And, and he was very much ahead of his time in a lot of things. And when I, I was thinking of him as I read this book, I'm like, sometimes you just get it intuitively, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you're just able to hear, I could use this, and you don't have a lot of restriction in allowing yourself to meet your own needs. And sometimes you need a 2,000-page book to help you, like, <laughs> and somewhere in between, right? And so that's what we're doing. Like, I just want to acknowledge, like, some of, like I look at some of the things that we're teaching. It's like sitting, walking, breathing, how to go to the bath, like we're, such fundamental things. But we have gotten so far away from daily, like an environment that fosters these things that now we're having to like reverse engineer it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the, it is a new way of it being able to go forward. So, so again, just just acknowledging that there's just like a spectrum out there of the things that we get intuitively and the things we need to learn about. And so I just appreciate your work and putting out this breath and it got me draping over a ball. So like that, that convincing and, and to have an effect like within minutes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I'm here for it all. I I just, I, I love the humanity that it brings out in everybody. I mean, breath unites us. I mean, that seems so trite, but you would you would not be here if you didn't have this fundamental movement and the number of reps reps well performed or reps sort of you know in a different alignment performed mm-hmm. it keeps us going yeah. it's just amazing yeah our bodies our bodies are so adaptable and we can use that to go oh what is the direction we want to go with them mm-hmm. that's a choice all right thanks so much for coming on the show always katie i can't wait to see you that's all for today friends You can find everything we mentioned linked in the show notes for this episode, including a link to register for that Breathing Movements Masterclass Jill and I will be teaching. And I'm just going to end with this. When I had little babies, I found I could calm my kids. And I'm talking small, like maybe in the first few months of life. I could calm them by placing them high on my chest with their head very close to mine. And I would take a slow but very loud breath, a loud breath on purpose. I wanted the sound of my breath to cut through the sounds of their fussing. So it was almost like it was a bit of breathing hyperbole. I would just, you know, I'd make this loud sound and it would catch their attention and they would quickly match my slower breathing rate. And I'm not sure how it worked, I have read that babies, uh, especially newborns, are influenced by the heart rate of the people that are holding them. That's why kangaroo care for 
babies that might be premature or who have other um, issues that need physical touch and support. The idea is that they can actually feel the heart beat from the caretaker, the, the person that's holding them, and that helps their heart match, know what to do. I'm not exactly sure, but I was thinking that maybe they were feeling my heart rate. Perhaps it was just hearing the extra loud, slow breath. Either way, it was a tool that really worked for me. It worked for us. And so I thought I would close the show with a few deep breaths just for you, just for you and I to do together. And you can tell me later if they made you want to take some mindful breaths too. This has been the Move Your DNA podcast with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Our theme music was performed by Dan McCormick. This podcast is produced by Brock Armstrong, that's me, and the transcripts are done by Annette Yen. Find out more about Katie, her books, her movement programs, and everything else over at nutritiousmovement.com. 